Beyond Infinity. Piers Cunningham and Michael Simonetti, who is the CEO and founder of And Mine, which is a digital agency uh, based in Melbourne, Australia, but with uh, with activities and offices elsewhere in the world. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Piers. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. We talked a few months ago about the COVID app uh, and some of the issues that were raised then were what the uptake would be like, how effective it would wind up being for suiting that purpose, which was to facilitate contact tracing and make it faster and more efficient. So I thought that now, given that Victoria, unfortunately, is in a a lockdown mark two, and even talk about that's supposed to be going for six weeks, we're in two weeks into it, there's already talk about it being extended and perhaps even tightened. There are some medical experts saying we really should be going to a hard lockdown if we want this to be effective. Uh, Then it comes down to a debate about suppression versus eradication, uh, or even the the third alternative, which is herd uh, immunity. I guess we'll come to those those three sort of things a bit later. And there's a second area of discussion today, which is um, more the economic side of it and uh, how to address that and the implications and what's the best way to go forward. And that ties into whether it's suppression or eradication, that, that sort of debate. But for now, let's talk about the apps. Uh, and when I say apps, plural, I mean not just the COVID safe app in Australia, but also some of these other apps that are in use around the world. So starting with the Australian COVID Safe app, there were 3 million downloads in the first three days after the launch in late April. Uh, but as of the end of May, there'd only been just over another 3 million downloads. So an, a kind of fast response in reaction to the hype and to the, the marketing push around its launch in late April. But after that, you know, a, a quite pronounced slowdown, and then it sort of seems to have really tapered off. So mm. there are some people who are saying it doesn't work or there, there are technical issues, which I might ask you to comment on in a moment. The, the government's 40% initial install target has not been mentioned in months. So it's kind of like, well, they've abandoned. There's no point in talking about that if it's not going to be achieved. Uh, we've got nowhere near uh, that uh, the adult population of Australia with smartphones is, is about 16.4 million we're nowhere near getting full coverage of that or even 40%, which is what the government was was chasing originally. The government is not allowed to access mobile location data. It's, it's illegal to do that in Australia. So that's one one sort of drawback. And we'll, we'll come to other apps and other technical measures which are being used elsewhere in the world and, and how they do allow the use of mobile location data to be accessed by government and medical authorities. And also, you know, there's some technical issues with Bluetooth on iPhones, I believe. And this was flagged quite early on. And I'm not sure that it's been fully resolved. So we might come to that as well. Yeah, just to recap on the situation in Victoria, which is where both Michael and I are speaking from, there were a bunch of of sort of sub-subcontractors who were hired to secure overseas arrivals it entered the country and were being quarantined in city hotels. Some of them had COVID, whether that was identified at the time or known or not, about or not, uh, that remains to be seen. There is actually a, a retired judge who's, who's doing an inquiry into this, buying the Victorian government a bit of time, but it doesn't reflect well on them. Some of these very untrained contractors securing quarantine places were sharing cigarette lighters with people who were in quarantine. Uh, they'd be outside for a smoker. They were leaving butts in the street, which, uh, you know, I think it's quite common for street people, people, unfortunately, who are living rough on the streets 
they often scrounge around for butts where they can find them and uh, and there were quite mm. a few waiting for you know half smoked cigarettes waiting in these in the uh, rubbish bins outside these hotels in laneways which they could access without any restriction near these hotels where people were in quarantine there's even suggestion that that some of these security guys who have policing quarantine hotels actually had intimate contact and uh, were either not aware or flouted uh, or ignored social distancing rules that applied then. So really, it, it's a bit of a debacle. We don't know the full story, but what, we've, what we know so far is that the, you know, the government has failed in its duty to uh, properly oversee a hotel quarantine, which was actually paid for by the taxpayer. You know, so a very expensive exercise, and it seems to have been very compromised. And now we have a, a quite a, a significant outbreak of, of COVID-19 in Melbourne and spreading into Victoria and even some cases that have, have originated in Melbourne uh, up, in, up in New South Wales, which is really a worry. All the borders are shut down. Flights aren't happening. We're being told that we could be facing two years of isolation in Victoria from the rest of Australia, let alone the rest of the, rest of the world. Victorians might be allowed to go to Bali before you're allowed to go anywhere else in Australia because Bali might have a, a similar risk profile or even higher. So they kind of welcome the tourism and, and accept the risk. Anyway, you cut it, it's, it's not a pretty situation. So pretty much two failures, the app failure and then the uh, hiring failures of the government in, yeah, in one yeah. shot. We don't know the full story on there is a retired judge doing an inquiry into the quarantine failure. Let's concentrate for now on the, uh, the app's side of things what do you reckon was wrong with the COVID safe app and, and why it didn't achieve the sort of numbers that they wanted and and the technical reasons behind that look at the the idea is a good idea um you know in terms of most most technology uh most software development comes from a place of here's a really good idea and it sounds solvable like in from a top level perspective it sounds solvable the challenge with any technology project is the logic of humans and people uh, articulated into a technology place where it's pure logic and making that logic work in the real life environment with hundreds, millions of variables potentially is extremely complicated. Even if you can narrow it down to something quite simple, um, the technology challenge is always large. So yep. I'm, you know, I'm not sure if I gave this example last time, but you know, when we're when you're first doing software engineering, uh, you know, we, we walk into one of the first lecturers and there's a lot of guys there, that, are, that are guys and girls that have done a ton of programming in the past. And you know, this is you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago for me. But you know, I vividly remember the lecture where you know, budding young software engineers sitting in, uh, in a lecture and they, they put up a very simple slide, program this. You know, and it's, it's basically six or seven lines of code. And it's super simple. Like we're talking about these type of platforms have millions of lines of code. First year software engineering, there's probably a couple of hundred students that, that start. Only about yeah. a third finish. But, you know, there's a big, it's a big class. And out of that class, he's like, okay, we're going to run it through the checking script and, uh, and see who gets this right. See who gets this test right. And remember, this is seven lines of code. Yeah. We got uh, something like a 1% or 2% pass rate on what, on what the wow. output was. And this mm. is like smart people, you know, with, 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 you know, you got into engineering, you're doing the most simple, basic program that's been asked of you. And only a few percent of the whole of the whole class get it right. Why? Because when you're trying to articulate things into logic, there's always uh, misinterpretation of that logic. 
Now, when you start thinking, okay, we're gonna we're gonna cover the entire population, we're gonna use a, a relatively new technology in terms of tracking, in terms of communication, in terms of uh, narrow field communications on Bluetooth. Th- these are complicated problems. Even if yeah. even if the technology is simple, well tested, been around for a long time, like think about it. when does your mobile phone drop out? You know, how often mm. does your Bluetooth headphones cut out? How often do you have problems with Wi-Fi at home? These are extremely robust and well-tested uh, technology platforms that uh, which which still aren't perfect. Which still aren't perfect because we're 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 communicating over an imperfect channel. We are trying to do things that are that are, in terms of technology, relatively new, um, and to do mm. them well over an entire population base is is challenging. Now we know that again they're they're aware of these factors, um, and uh, but the other side of all technology is market take up. So both there's this technology gap and challenge that I think is uh, you know, not unsolvable, but it is very complicated. And, and I, you know, I, I didn't dig too far into the technology because I saw it at a glance and said, this, is very, this isn't an easy thing to solve. Um, mm. And you know, maybe they did, maybe they didn't solve it. If they had some heavy hitting background and support on that platform, possibly. Uh, but uh, you know, again, the, the platform didn't get an opportunity to vet the technology because they didn't hit their benchmark which comes to the second problem of all technology and all marketing is buy-in you know you need a certain percentage of uh, of a population or, a, or an audience to buy into a product to make it uh, viable uh, that doesn't mm. just go for this app this goes for any small business to large business that is trying to generate a market share or you know get get market buy-in uh, you, you don't just get that because you drop a you know, millions of dollars on marketing and you have full news coverage. You couldn't get better uh, marketing and coverage for this app and they still couldn't achieve the, the variables that they wanted to hit, the numbers that they wanted to hit. Why? Yeah. And this proves the case of, you know, this is, it's not, uh, it's not easy to do anything in startup mode, even if you've got all the money, all the media and all the uh, effective power in the world to release something. Uh, mm. It's a, it's a, they're both enormous challenges and to, to, yeah. to think that that was just going to work, I think I said to you I was very wasn't pessimistic about it, but I just thought it wasn't that that super possible at the time. You know, yeah. I, I thought they were going to. I was surprised at the numbers that they achieved, though. I think that that was a, an incredible result, but not enough. And do you know how effective, like, given they've got say it's say it's in the order of say seven or eight million, something like that now. At the end of May, it was just over six million had installed the app. Uh, but whether everyone runs it or not, I mean, I've heard people not wanting to run it because they think it's, it's, well, it's draining your, their battery. There's your third challenge in technology mm. is you need mm. to build a saleable platform, you need to acquire market share, and then you need to iterate it in market and prove its case. So I don't yep. even think they got to that third stage. I think they started on that third stage, but because you've heard a tone silence on the result of that, that gives mm. you that answer. You know, if yeah, they were which, close, they would be mm, pushing and they would be absolutely. talking about the positive outcomes of even clustered areas of that app. Let's yep. say, okay, if, uh, if they got to 60%, that means in some areas that are 100%. Pick a suburb. There's got to be a suburb with 80% uh, yep. acquiry rates and there's got to be suburbs with 20%. It's not 60% across the board. So you pick that suburb and prove the case and say, hey, look, look how well it's working here. And that, yep. to me, would have happened, but that didn't happen. So I don't think they're anywhere near those numbers. New Zealand had a really simple 
pen and paper logbook system. Yep. So they did it. They did a stage four lockdown back. At, you know, in March, early on, they were actually I think about a week or two uh, before we did our first lockdown in Australia. New Zealand had, had begun a stage four lockdown. Yeah. And instead of having a complicated app, which may or may not work. Uh, and and costs a lot of money. There's privacy considerations, which which people also had concerns about. Oh, I don't want to download a government app. And I spoke to some pretty smart people, who said, you know, this is the thin end of the wedge. I I don't like the idea of of installing an application which the government's put together, which is going to actually be hosted. The data gets stored on a on an American-owned Amazon server, which is in Australia, but ultimately, which the U.S. government could have access to because they can lean on an American company to give them access to data held on their servers whether they're in america or not you know however likely that was or you know the the trust issues involved in that there were people who decided they just didn't like the sound of that Mm. you know i think they went a long way to trying to 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 make it make people feel comfortable i'm pretty sure they released the source code and um there were people who reverse engineered it there were there were tech experts who looked at it and said no this actually is a pretty good effort by a government to try to assuage those those security concerns that people had privacy of, of their data. New Zealand had this really simple system. You, you, you just filled out a log. You know, so you're in lockdown, you go anywhere, you see anyone uh, you know, in your travels to go to the shops or go to the doctor or you know, the, the, the limited reasons you were allowed to leave mm. your house. Yeah. You recorded everyone that you saw. And in a small country with a total population of like four and a half million people for the whole of New Zealand, their biggest city, Auckland, I think is about a million people. It's easier to do that. And more people know, you know their neighbours uh, and people around them because it is a smaller, in some ways closer-knit place it's not as um maybe not as as uh impersonal as, as australia co- now or? well in in some ways yeah. yeah they haven't had a lot of people coming in from they've had they've had some immigration there but it hasn't been on the scale that australia's had so there's a lot of new new people have arrived in australia from all over the world and they're out and about and, and they're not as integrated and that stands to reason because they they haven't had time to get as as connected to their communities it seemed like a really elegant and simple and cheap and cheerful way of answering a question that if it arose you know okay there's been an outbreak of someone's got coronavirus here who have they been in contact with let's get that piece of paper let's get that little logbook. we'll ring up those people we'll give it to the contact traces and we'll go from there and if everyone's everyone's done that diligently then we've got the equivalent of what an app can give us without the expense and without the unreliable technology mm. so that was one example a really simple and elegant example i'm not sure whether it works in a, a country with a, a significantly bigger population like australia China, with a much, much bigger population, again, uh, 1.3, 1.4 billion people, they had a mandatory app, which basically, I think, probably just got automatically installed on people's phones. You didn't even need to, got pushed out there, I presume. Yeah. Uh, or, or maybe you had to, maybe you had to, um, you had to download it. But if you didn't download it, you were in a lot of trouble. So people did. That basically draws on a whole lot of data. Not only the Bluetooth close proximity sensing that the COVID safe app in Australia does, but also um, actual GPS data on where people move. And, and what, you know, really what people would say is quite intrusive in terms of their, their, their private lives. And when you went into a building or when you went to a place where there was uh, 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 many people, you know, a public place, you had a, Q, a QR code. This is, you know, I'm taking some creative liberty here. But uh, obviously, the governments are very different in their approach, right? Both, both, sure. both in their power and in their position and, and how they integrate technology into their society. I mean, we all know about the social score of China, the intrusive nature of both uh, facial recognition and financial positions of their population. 
Um, yeah. So, you know, if you know that, and again, I'm taking a little bit of a leap of faith here. Uh, I think that the app is that these two apps aren't even comparable. I think what China would have likely have done is just turned on GPS tracking through all of their population. Anybody that tested positive, they, they already had all the data. And this is not very difficult to uh, to put together purely from the information they can from Ghana, from uh, mobile phone towers and mobile phone devices themselves. Likely, if uh, even in, if uh, those those devices are turned off, so you know they've got extreme power over their their technology and data, um, and subsequently, you know, their citizens, which which approach this in a very different way. And you know, there's a huge support for the for the Chinese government uh, in China. I don't want to you know, delve into the political side of that. I'm doing, talking from a pure uh, uh, you know response to technology point of view. These things are being accepted, you know, whether they're recepted, uh, you know, with uh, with vigor and and 100% support, or you know, they don't have a choice. It doesn't really matter. They're they're being used in that way. You can't compare that to to the COVID Safe app in Australia. Like they're, they're night and day different pieces yeah, of technology. I, I, of course right? they are. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. so the success that they've had around contact tracing and you know i think contact tracing again is a, is a ex- extremely complicated beast if i'm looking this from a from an engineering scientific point of view then i think the first thing i think is what is the biggest factor in the room the biggest factor is uh you know their ability to lock down and close clusters out physically in china is a big thing right whereas here mm-hmm. the freedom of movement is just is still astronomical compared to what they would experience you know, lockdown an mm. entire city. You can't mm. you can't leave your house. No one can leave. No one can go on the streets. You know, that's mm. probably mm. what happened there. And mm. you know, you do four weeks of that, whether or not people starve to death or not, they don't care. They're just going to go for that mentality. And if that works, they've closed it. They've killed the virus completely to zero. Mm. Once you get it to zero, so, you're in a different world. And then it doesn't mm. matter how good the contact tracing is because you've just done something completely bigger than the app itself. Yeah, that's right. Not only does the mandatory app on phones in China, record your location and record Bluetooth proximity, that sort of stuff, like along the lines of what apps in in, uh, in Western democracies and elsewhere in the world have done. But they also combine that with multiple data points they have on you, the whole social credit system you mentioned, the ability to, to draw on the, 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 the hundreds of millions of CCTV cameras uh, that are mapping your face and, and, and mapping your, the way you walk and using that to identify you. Uh, it, it always draws all together, and so it all when up, you yeah. go it, exactly, and when you go into a, a business, or when you go to, into you buy a train ticket, or you want to go somewhere where there's lots of people, you have to show a QR code on your phone, and that rates your risk. Green allows unrestricted movement. Yellow or orange, seven days quarantine, and red is mandatory isolation. Mm. Really simple, mm. but I think there's some some questions about efficiency and. It, it comes down to what you as a society ultimately are prepared to accept as a as sort of intrusion, but with the end goal being controlling a very dangerous disease. Mm. And uh, uh, Singapore, they've got a thing called the Trace Together app. Uh, only 20% of the people in the country had it. There were technical issues running on iPhones uh, and inter- even interfering with phone calls were dropping out. So, so again, limited use there, even in a country like Singapore, which is a pretty... Very quite forward, a uh, both in yeah, technology well, sense and it, it is and, and a, yeah and a collective and, uh, environment sense of the of the population yeah, yeah. absolutely and, and generally a, a population that does what it's told yep. by the government yep. so for only 20 percent it was a small result for singapore korea they had what what amounted to effectively a mandatory system using gps mm-hmm. as opposed to the bluetooth proximity 
uh, tracing like COVID safe in Australia. Yep. And then alerts were pushed to people who've been near those infected so then those people could act. I mean, that's really a very a good system. Mm. You know, you, mm. you automatically, you get a thing on your phone saying, okay, you went to the shops, you went to the market, you went to work today. Here's a, a, an alert on your phone. You need to go get tested. And while you're waiting for the results, please quarantine. Great way to limit things. And Korea was very successful doing that. Taiwan, another country, uh, very effectively used technology to enforce quarantine of those infected. So once you were in quarantine, your phone and they made they do random phone calls to you and they had penalties to back it up. They had police randomly knocking on your door, which they did a little bit of in Australia, you know, when people were in voluntary quarantine mm. at home, return travelers and stuff, but not to the extent that Taiwan did and not as effective. Yeah. And then finally, the last example I wanted to mention is that America, which responded late to the situation and now unfortunately has um, you know, has record numbers throughout the world they've shut down then they've opened up again and then in some uh, some places they've actually shut down again a bit like victoria they've done a, a, a you know isolation mark two uh, two states that stand out of florida and texas both had very high growth figures for covid and they're even more pronounced than in Australia. But it's the same debate, really, that, that there's big economic losses. And if you're going to survive COVID, so say you do survive, you want to have something to come back to. You know, you want to have a world that you can live in. Mm. You don't want to have let everything, let everything collapse to, a, to an unrecoverable state because of your shutdowns. No so just as far as the technology is concerned, if you harness technology in the most ruthless way, which disregards privacy and freedom then it is possible to use technology very effectively to, to facilitate contact tracing, early warning, quarantine enforcement and containment of the virus. It's just a question of how far you go. China gives us the example of one extreme, a population of 1.4 billion people. Mm. China's one extreme of where uh, they've, they've harnessed all the, the, all the resources, including technology, at the, at the fingertips of the government and had some great success doing that, given their high population, given it was the source of the outbreak. In Singapore, not so much. Korea, an example of a, with a, that mandatory system of using GPS, that's something which is not legal in Australia. They did it in Korea, a very successful outcome there for that country. Taiwan also used technology to heavily uh, enforce quarantine yeah. of those who were infected. So I guess the question is, what can Australia learn from the overseas experience and how should we modify our efforts to contain the virus from a technological point of view? There's uh, a huge leapfrog from being able to push technology down to the population versus buy-in. You know, So when you're talking about buy-in, you're back to that original discussion that we had on those few points around, is it technically capable? Will there be enough buy-in? And after that, iterating it and will it, is it working? You know, we're not anywhere near any of those points because we can't mandate this technology into the population. Now, if you could, we'd be in a completely different situation. And you would have the ability to figure out those pieces within the local landscape here in Australia. Because again, those, those geographic makeup of those countries may assist in the solution as well. And again, you need the data to be able to analyze that and see how it's going. You know, none of that stuff's happened here. So we're back, yet, to, we're yet, back to this very manual process in Australia completely. Mm. 
And, I mean, I, I, and the I, thing about the manual process is that if you're going to enforce these heavy lockdowns or stage four, you're going to bring in the army, you're going to you're going to you know make it mandatory to wear masks, you're going to have very heavy fines yeah. if you're found doing anything which yeah. you're not supposed to be doing. Yeah. All that kind of is is crossing those lines of interference in people's lives, which you know you supposedly we've shied away from because of privacy concerns. Yeah, yeah. You know, but why that's the COVID exactly. Act. So <laughs> exactly. it's like if you're going to do, you're you exactly want to do the same thing yeah. anyway. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So why so, not so, put it to the people? Why wouldn't you? Let us take your data in this instance versus mm. police are walking and military walking around the street locking you in your homes, which is, which is the next level, which, you know, again, I don't know what the laws are. Are they allowed to do that? If they are, well, you know, put it to a, put, put it to a, uh, a poll. You know, how quickly can you organize a digital vote on that, uh, on that idea? And again, even that, we can't even do that yet. We don't even have the platform for, but we should, right? Mm. Well, it's like we went into Mark II lockdown in Victoria two and a half weeks ago, two mm. weeks ago. Mm. We've got another four weeks to go at least. They're already talking about ramping it up and going extending it, yep. depending on the numbers. And then and as of two days ago, they brought in um, mandatory wearing of masks in public. Um, and you've got, to have it, you've got to have it on you, wherever you are, pretty much. I don't think you have to wear it in the car, but you know they want you to wear it if you're anywhere uh, around other people. Mm. It's like, well... Why didn't you bring that in at the beginning of the lockdown? And if you were going to do something like that, then why not just say as part of this as well, okay, we're going to be a bit smarter and we're going to go further with an app and we'll make it mandatory and we'll make that we'll give the app extra power to too late. to uh, it's too late. to, to tr- track your movements. Too late. You've you've lost the trust. You, you, you've got to have another catastrophic event or something else to happen that people want it or demand it. Like once you've released the app and failed on it. Where do you go from there? You've lost the trust in terms of that piece of technology. Like, oh, that's not going to work. The next one's not going to work. Mm. Right? That you go back to that model, the problem of even if it is the most elegant, beautiful, perfect technology in the world, people are going to, you know, the the greatest error in technology is people using it. You know, my battery runs out, my phone's off. Oh, I forgot to put, I left it in the car. A range of things. That, that you just yeah. can't overcome because it's not uh, the, the level of um, uh, effort required for someone to grasp that level of technology. I mean, people still call me up and ask, ask for help on how to use email. Email's been around yeah. 20 years, right? Like it's, well, this, in, it, it's one of the simplest platforms in the world. But yet, it's because it's complicated and because there's different platforms and different mails and different email signatures and different setups, like all of these things people have trouble with. In some countries, what they did, uh, some Asian countries, which were quite successful in, in combating it and, and limiting the spread of coronavirus, they actually had, if you didn't have a phone or if you weren't prepared to use a phone, they basically put a bracelet on you, a bit like what they put on yeah. people who've released on parole from, from jail. Probably, the, the, parole probably the same device. And it was just a way of, well, it, 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 did this, it did the thing that they wanted the phone to do. So it, it been, didn't allow you the possibility of... a 4G chip on, a, on, a rank, yeah, on an ankle you, bracelet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you, you couldn't leave the uh, the phone at home. You couldn't leave it in the glove box Piers, of the car. I, I joked on Facebook, you know, and I said, like, look, you guys have already got the data. Just go to Facebook or go to Google. They've got the <laughs> yeah. data, right? You know they've got the data. Yeah. Just do a deal and and, and, do, and just do it. And, and maybe they did in the background anyway. Yeah. Who knows? Well, that's right. Because I heard and, some and, press and, conference where, where either... Either the lady from the government, you know, was joking or, or stuffed up, um, but but it let it slip that you know, oh, we have the data, you know, we have this tracking data, and then and then it was sort of furried off, you know. Again, I wasn't paying super attention to it, but you, you just know that these things, like if you look at it from a technology point of view, that data exists, 
and multiple organizations like Google and Facebook have an enormous amount of data. You know, the majority of the population use those tools on a regular basis and, and, uh, and have cookies and all sorts of things installed on their devices and apps that uh, provide additional tracking data back to those organizations. Two things that I'm reminded of you saying that. The first was that you said a while ago, if you've got privacy concerns about running the COVID-19 app on your phone, mm. then don't use Facebook because they've got so much more data yeah, and don't yeah. use Google for searches yeah. and, and yeah. you know, be careful of what Apple yeah. does because they, you know, they, and they now TikTok. share. Watch out for TikTok. And that, the next and one. And now TikTok. Yeah. So, so that's one thing. It's like you're already being yeah, harvested. You're, you're, you're the product. You're don't done. forget that. You're done. And then the second thing is that, as we said, you know, with Singapore, they had a lot of problems. And even in Australia, there were problems with iPhones and, their, and the way that Bluetooth worked. What I think you, you said a while ago was that Apple and Google, Google the maker of Android, mm. uh, they, they needed to be the ones who were, who were involved in developing those apps for governments. They write the, the core software that's, that's involved and they were the, had the best chance of optimising it to actually work reliably and do what the government said. And you could, have had a, you could have kind of had a hard version for a country like China, which had no privacy considerations, a medium for Singapore and a soft for Australia, if you'd want it. You know, they could have given you grades. But, but it sort of comes down to the law, right? So in the end we're talking about legally you know victoria is allowed to put us into stage four lockdown and and have these very draconian measures because of uh very old laws that, that exist uh but there's no law around uh invading your privacy on an app or on a device but you know mm. it's a, it's arguably a much softer easier solution than 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 being locked into your house yep yep so if you if or- you ask the population i mean you're going to get people that 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 do or don't agree with it both ways. I mean, Facebook is, is full of uh, various positions on both sides of the of the spectrum around what's happening. You know, you, you're never going to get complete buy-in. Yeah, that's right. You could even say, okay, look, if you've got a smartphone, we're gonna inst- we're gonna automatically push out an application which everyone's going to run. It'll be like a they software. They don't need update. to push yeah. out anything. They don't need to put the, the data's already there. They just need to yeah. agree with just an organization access. to pull the data. Right. Yeah. And then your way around that, if you don't have a phone or if you turn it off or if you've got a lead lined box, if you're really worried yeah, about yeah. it being turned on remotely, yeah. all that sort of stuff, yeah. then walk around then, in a Faraday uh, cage. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Then um, you can go back and have a very low tech existence and you won't be covered by it. And thereby you, you have an option to protect your privacy mm-hmm. in a country like Australia. But otherwise, uh, if you're using a device, then full advantage will be taken of the available technology to get the information which helps with, with uh, limiting the spread of COVID-19. These are things which, as you say, probably too late to do that now. There's isolation fatigue. People are getting sick and tired of their lives being limited and not being able to see their friends and family. Mm. I mean, one of the most sickening headlines I saw recently, I don't know whether it's true, no one knows whether it's going to happen, but the idea that the Victoria could be facing two years of not being able to cross the border into neighbouring states. And then presumably, if that's the case, uh, you know, they're all, uh, the Piers, Prime Minister Piers, is also I'm, talking about I'm an optimist. a travel ban. I'm an optimist mm. and I think these things are going to happen. You know, you, you haven't got a hold of you haven't got a hold of this yet, and mm. you know, herd immunity is probably a dirty word, but we're so far away from that, and we're so far away from a vaccine. No matter what, uh, again, this is same. Uh, you know, technology is a, a, a difficult challenge. I'm sure biosciences is just as complicated. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to review us on iTunes. It's a great way to let others know if you've liked our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Beyond Infinity RPPFM on Facebook or Infinity RPP on Twitter.